Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Deeper Roots podcast with myself, Uthman Quick, and Sheikh Abdullah Hakim Quick. How are you doing, Sheikh? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Everything is okay. So we're at the end of Black History Month, and uh, it's kind of a strange Black History Month. I don't know if you you agree. Things feel a little bit different to how they felt maybe uh, in the George Floyd year uh, uh, out of the pandemic. And um, it feels like there's a little bit of a pushback. Have you, have you noticed that? Have you felt anything different this this Black History Month? Yes. Black History Month tends to go up and down in terms of emotion and focus and emphasis. And though this year is unique because of the fact that we're coming out of the pandemic and people are used to being locked up and working only online. And now there are programs that are out in the world face to face. Um, and at the same time, during this past two to three years, there's been a number of changes in society, uh, new movements coming to the surface, and people who are claiming to be revolutionaries, uh, wars breaking out. So, so there is um, a different tone yeah. that that's in in the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. I think the war in Ukraine and um, this weird obsession in the United States about critical race theory and all of that, I think, has uh, really maybe softened the importance of Black History Month. That's something that I kind of noticed. Yeah, you know, out there in the ether. I don't know about you. You know, it's it, it's strange when you see the power that the media has over the minds of people. And based upon the projections in the media, based upon the direction that social media, mainstream media is going, you find people tend to follow along like sheep. And there are less and less uh, groups of people who are actually breaking away from this. And yes, there is a difference between one generation and another generation. Because the older generation, maybe those uh, who are already mature in the 90s, grew up without using this social media. And, and, and so communicating with the radio, communicating face-to-face, -face, uh, grassroots movement meaning really grass in the sense that you're on the earth. Yeah. You're for real, you're face-to-face. -face. That was the norm at the time. Now with this cyberspace, with this artificially created world that people are carrying around in their hands, their minds are not fully engaged with what's going on in reality in front of them. And so this, this is having an impact on, on how they actually deal with the real live issues that have almost nothing to do with the social media of the past 20 to 30 years. This has been developing over thousands of years, and especially within the past 500 years uh, in the Americas, the result of the Atlantic slave trade, the result of uh, the rise in the capitalistic system and the, the brutality that was shown to the indigenous people. Uh, these issues that are so important in shaping life are being pushed to the side and they're in the dustbins of history, as though they have nothing to do with reality. But they are reality. And so how to bring it together, how to bring together the real reality, you know, with the cyberspace world that people are living in, this is a big challenge 
uh, that we're facing now. And, and, and we see it spill over into Black History Month. And one of the, the biggest topics, I guess, of Black History Month every year is celebrating our heroes, people who really represent Black history, especially in, uh, in North America. And one of those, of course, is Malcolm X. And over the years, we've seen this push to kind of um, take him over or expropriate his identity for different agendas and different ideologies. Is that something that you've noticed? Yes, uh, there's a tendency to use Malcolm X. He was such a gifted person. He was dealing with media um, in a way that's now considered to be professional way back in the 60s. He was actually doing sound bites before NBC and CBC and all of the mainstream media. And so he had a great impact on society. And so from back then, people wanted to use what he was doing. But at the same time, they didn't want to deal with him as an individual. See, and this is where the dichotomy exists between the X, mm-hmm. you know, as a icon or a symbol, and X as an actual individual who had a life, yeah. who went through an evolution, and who clearly stood for certain principles. Right. So, so this, this is what we're dealing with now, and we see it uh, coming to the surface. I mean, I can recall in the past 10 to 20 years that all the different type of revolutionary so-called movements were coming forward. Everybody wanted to be Malcolm to the point where even one year X was one of the most fashionable things you could have on your baseball cap, you know, or, you know, on your sweatshirt. Even people, people who had nothing to do with revolution. Yeah. People who were anti-revolution, people who were system, confused people had X. And it was just really a status symbol, a design Mm-hmm. but had nothing to do with the individual himself. Kind of like the image of Che Guevara, you know, just it becomes uh, the kind of uh, the fashion accessory of revolution. That's right. Or even looking at his his particular type of revolution, was it just a general, banal, anti-system revolution or were there particular uh, uh, principles that, that he stood for. So maybe let's take a, a deeper look at his life and um, and start off with where exactly, you know, he was coming from and, and, and what were his formative years like? If we look at his formative years in the United States, um, especially in Michigan area and uh, northeast the United States from 1925 to 1941. So it is in... Um, these times that that Malcolm being raised in an African-American family with also Caribbean uh, roots, his father and mother were part of the Marcus Gavi movement. Mm -hmm. And and this was literally the premier black nationalist movement um, in the Americas. And Marcus Gavi, you know, was an activist from Jamaica who had um, revolutionary ideas uh, it's interesting that one of his teachers was Dus Muhammad Ali, who was a Sudani, a Muslim, and a revolutionary. And he was also influenced by revolutionaries in London, the UK, in the United States. And he was a practical person. 
And so he literally wanted to develop a movement to liberate black people, enslaved African people in the West, not only physically, but psychologically. And the strength of his group really was the fact that he was very courageous in terms of trying to deconstruct history. And he was very stubborn and straightforward with the way he wanted to go. He was talking about back to Africa. He was talking about getting land. And, and he wanted an economic base. And that's what distinguished him from many of the other leaders who had good ideas. But at the end of the day, people have to eat food. People need jobs. And, and they're stuck within the machinery. He was talking about developing his own machinery. He was talking about liberation of black people by owning their own land, having their own businesses, even having their own ships, and eventually connecting with the African continent, you know, and really going back to their roots. And this was something that in the turn of the 20th century uh, was, was revolutionary in a sense, because the word revolution is going in a circle, like it's when you make a complete change. And so this was revolutionary, uh, what he was doing. And so a number of people were affected by the Marcus Gavi uh, movement, and Malcolm's family was one of those families. Mm -hmm. They were Christian African-Americans. Uh, father was very outspoken. They terrorized uh, his family, his mother, to the point where she had to enter a mental institution. And during that time, he was put on the state and actually spent time um, in orphanage-type situations and boarding schools and very intelligent young man. And his father was a preacher at the same time, so the gift of the gab, the intelligence, the revolutionary nature uh, was all wrapped up in this young individual who finds himself at one point in a school in Michigan and he's like the only child of color in the class. The rest of them are white. And he's at the top of his class and he wants to be a professional. And he's told, no, Malcolm, you cannot be a doctor, you cannot be a lawyer, you cannot do these things. Because black people at that time were working as red caps, you know, on the, on the trains, servile positions, if they were not um, playing music. So it's usually something to do with serving white society. Entertainment or Entertainment, service. like right. that. Mm -hmm. So this was the way, you know, in a legal sense, that black people were, you know, earning their wages and having upward mobility. Malcolm was turned off, and so he became a troubled youth. And they used to call him, uh, and this is now going from the age of, or the period of 1941 to 1948, the seven-year period. And it was in this period that they called him Detroit Red, because his hair was red. And, and he used to um, have a conch where he would press the hair to make uh, his hair straight. And he would wear the zoot suits, and he was a hustler on the street. And he got a reputation, um, not only in Detroit, but also in New York uh, and in Boston. And he connected um, with his family members and found himself in, you know, in, in the Boston area. And they were involved in all types of crime, because crime was another form of upward mobility. Crime just consumed him because it was a way for upward mobility. And, you know, his mind is, thinks really quickly and, you know, he's, he's a young, skilled person. So he just got caught up in this. 
So during that period of 1941 to 1948, um, you know, where he was a troubled youth, uh, people don't pay attention to this period, but it was a very important time. Because once he was incarcerated and put into the Massachusetts state prison system, he had access to information. And in those days, the students or the, the, the inmates who, who showed promise were allowed to actually go in the libraries and get books and read the books. And so he became a voracious reader and he started to memorize all the words that he could. He was reading different texts, going through history, studying different um, aspects of education. And really, in a sense, you know, he was going through a number of courses. Um, he became a well-read person, and he could actually debate. He would debate with some of the other inmates, and he got this reputation of being sort of a devil, and he was mean, but at the same time, he was like a mean, uh, evil genius. And it was during this time that he ran into the uh, teachings of Elijah Muhammad, the Nation of Islam. And these teachings were penetrating the prisons, and it was providing, you know, for the inmates uh, a type of identity and a type of unity. And this is important within the prison system because people tend to join a gang or, or their, their, their ethnic group. You have to have leadership. If you're by yourself, then you become the prey of different predators, within the prison. So the Nation of Islam had a, had a new identity, and it was something strange because they were talking about the Arabic language and they were talking about being a Muslim and Islam and Elijah Muhammad and different things like this. And they were also bringing this concept that black people are not downtrodden people, but actually the children of God and an image of God, and that the white man was actually the devil. And so Malcolm, having suffered uh, underneath the Europeans, uh, was attracted uh, to this concept, and he, he began to study the teachings of Elijah Muhammad, and then soon, because of his abilities, he became one of the leaders within the prison system, and um, when he was released, uh, he then went straight into the nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam now gave something different because it was giving you inner strength that, that you feel within yourself that you're a god. And, and, and it gives you a type of insulation against the white racism. And so this attracted him. And when he came out, he became a tireless worker uh, for Elijah Muhammad. And Elijah Muhammad being um, a, a, a well-known organizer, he was part of the Gavi movement and he was visited by this person, W.D. Farad uh, Muhammad. There's different concepts about who he actually was. But he came to Detroit and he started teaching the people this sort of a mixture of Islam, Christianity, Freemasonic teachings, and, and, and other uh, type of theories and ideologies all mixed together. And he was pitting himself as being the, the pinnacle and the leader, black people being the children of God, the chosen of God, a type of Israelite uh, nation that was in the lost and found nation you know, of America. Like they, they look at themselves as the lost tribes, and they would say Shabazz, 
-hmm. So the lost tribes in the wilderness of America. It's similar to Beni Israel, the children of Israel who are lost and enslaved in Egypt. Like they made that parallel. Right. And that, that reversal of, of roles. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and that was, to a certain extent, psychologically, uh, it was a, a very effective method of taking somebody from self-hate, from the lowest level of society, and then giving them this confidence so that they could dress in the best of clothing uh, and they could be proud of themselves. And, and so Elijah then, along with street discipline and military discipline and other forms, he was able to uh, organize groups of young men and women, you know, and, and train them and clean them up. And so Malcolm became a tireless leader. And it is said that, you know, the, the few chapters of the Nation of Islam in Detroit, Chicago, New Jersey, New York, uh, actually blossomed under Malcolm. He tirelessly moved from state to state, state, teaching, preaching, organizing. And really, you could say maybe 70% of, the, of their membership uh, came into the nation uh, as a result of the work of Malcolm X. And so um, his work uh, started to give him a reputation. And coming from a preacher background and having this natural courage and, and, and information, he became a really good speaker. And the Nation of Islam had developed you know, a way of speaking. It's, it's sort of like a Baptist preacher, but then there's something else to it because it has some Arabic and it has uh, Freemasonry and other things mixed together. Uh, and so Malcolm really was the pinnacle of this. And it is said that he was so intelligent and such a good speaker that he was doing sound bites before NBC and ABC. So he was like taking a lot of information and putting it into just a few words. He had that ability. And, and this is before the major newscasters were able to do this. He was a genius. And so traveling around the country, um, speaking, his reputation uh, started to precede him uh, in, into different parts of America, to the point where he even met with um, Martin Luther King uh, Jr. And, of course, he, he considered the, the, the uh, pacifistic movement of the NAACP and the other groups you know, as the wrong uh, approach to liberation. But he respected uh, Martin Luther because he was putting his life on the line and he was charismatic. He's also a really good speaker, too. So Malcolm respected him for these things. And, and really, contrary to what people might say, he, people try to say that Malcolm is this demon and this evil militant, and, and, and Malcolm was this contented Christian preacher. Reality was, is that they were very close in the way that they thought. And it took Martin Luther King Jr. some time getting beaten up, getting terrorized, to start to come closer and closer to Malcolm's position. And that was the ballot or the bullet. So Malcolm was saying that we don't want to be terrorists and destroy the society, but we have right to self-defense. Yeah, and it's not as if he had participated in any violence. With the way that he's spoken about today, you would imagine that he, he led a revolution or something. But it was the rhetoric and, and just the, the, 
the notion that we're not going to take this. That's anymore. right. We're not just going to turn the other cheek. Which and, really disturbed the, the power structure. That's right. And and what was interesting is that the nation of Islam developed a, a type of um, inner strength. And they also studied Shotokan karate. So they had Japanese uh, trained as an Aikido. So they became proficient in Aikido. And so they were trained to not carry guns, but they were trained to meet somebody with a gun and take his gun from him mm-hmm. and use it on him. So they didn't have to carry weapons. They were the weapon. Mm. And they were very polite in how they carried themselves. Elijah taught them um, in his uh, book, Message to the Black Man, and how to eat to live, that they should only eat one meal per day. So they ate one main meal. Other times they had maybe a little, little fruit, you know, a little liquid. Sounds like intermittent fasting. <laughs> yeah, so they were intermittent fasting. Yeah. And, and you could tell them. You see them come walking along, they were all thin, and their skin was like glowing because they also did not eat pork, they not, did not drink alcohol, they did not eat the, the, the major you know, fast foods. They were into a holistic diet, in a sense, and then eating one meal per day. And so they would glow, they would literally glow. And, and, and they would project that this is part of being in the lost found tribe of Shabazz. So this is Islam, you know, this is the way. And Malcolm, because he traveled so much and because his mind was so uh, expansive and so open for information, he started reading about the international revolutions. And, and this was a time when uh, decolonization movements were happening around the world, where the countries in Africa and Asia were breaking away from the colonial period. And so he was reading about this and liberation and revolutionaries, and, and he was taking in this information. Now, it's important to understand that Elijah Muhammad was not into revolution. He was not into um, militancy and you know violence in the sense of, you would think of a Marxist-Leninist revolutionary. His revolution was more of a cultural one and then economic one. So his idea was that through business and through organization, that black people could gain their liberation uh, without having to go through, you know, bloody revolution. But also, also withdrawing from from the wider society and almost an isolationist type of idea, right? That's right. So the, their idea was that they wanted their own land, they wanted their own businesses, and they developed this uh, bean pie. It's a really good tasting pie. Yeah, I had one a couple of years ago. In that's that's it's right. Amazing. Hey, it's, you know, you'll never forget a bean pie. Yeah, and 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 they also found this whiting fish. It's a lipo, type of tilapia fish off the coast of Peru, mm-hmm. and and they developed business interest, and they would bring this in, and so they would sell bean pies, they would sell their newspapers, and then they would sell this fish sandwich, and they became known for this. So they had economics. So literally, you could take somebody off drugs, you have a buddy-buddy system, you know, you, you're close, and then you give him a job, so he's making money, he doesn't have to go back to crime. Uh, you, you deal with the woman, she's also being cleaned up and, and organized, and they had special movements for the women, MGT, this is the Muslim women uh, organization, and the, fr- the fruit of Islam was for the men. And they literally drilled, they marched down the streets, they were highly organized, and so after a short period of time, 
they became uh, an actual threat uh, to the society. And so it reached the point where uh, uh, Malcolm, again, because of his, his mind and because of his ability to gain information, he's constantly reading, he's constantly questioning people. He actually started to find out that Elijah Muhammad um, had uh, illicit relationships with some of his secretaries. And some of them got pregnant and they were pushed out the organization and they were claiming their rights. And, and so Malcolm was very sincere and very honest. And if he saw that something is wrong, it is wrong. He didn't just join this for Elijah Muhammad. He wanted the truth and he was ready to die for the truth. And so this controversy now started to distance him from uh, Elijah Muhammad. Then the fact that because of his speaking abilities, Malcolm traveled to the universities, he went to Harvard University, to Yale, Oxford, and he debated the top scholars in the West concerning slavery, concerning the injustice to people of color, the need for liberation, and he started to get an international reputation. And so he was outshining Elijah Muhammad. Now, you have to remember that within the teachings of the Nation of Islam, they taught that this person, W.D. Farad Muhammad, was God, that he was Allah, who was part of a group of elders that fly around in this unidentified flying object they called the mothership. And every 144,000 years, one of the elders beams down on earth, and he is Allah. Now, this sounds like science fiction, like something out of uh, Star Wars. But the reality, in those times, it was possible because people did not have access to a lot of information. And, and if you could put over your information, you look good, you talk good, uh, you had something to offer, people would listen. Elijah also taught that black people were the original people. Now, scientifically, he is correct because the first Homo sapiens sapiens were actually coming out of Africa. But they taught that there was a race of big heads. These were the first human beings. They were blacks, and they were in different parts of the world. And one of them, a scientist named Yakub, that he started to do uh, experiments in genetics, and he somehow was able to have a, a dogs and cats you know, to, to, to copulate with human beings, you know, and, and, and they came out with this new creature that had blonde hair and blue eyes, like red hair and green eyes, you know, and so he threw it in Europe and it flourished. And that was the basis of the European race. And he said that they were devils. Their nature is to do evil. Some of them are good, but their nature is to do evil. And black people uh, are basically the nature is to do good, but some black people uh, can become evil. And some of the other races, the Indians, the Chinese, are all derivatives you know, of the, the black people. But the original man, the Asiatic, he said Asiatic black man, is that, you know, it's a strange how he yeah. puts it all together, that he was, you know, the, 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 the prime, you know, uh, nation uh, on earth. And so Malcolm was, was a teacher of this, very forceful teacher. But then because he reads and because he had access to things and even, you know, his sister Ella, you know, they, they, they became a real Muslim and, 
You know, he has family members who are coming into real Islam, and people used to debate, you know, with uh, Malcolm X. And I can remember, you know, as a young um, revolutionary involved in the black consciousness movement in, in the Boston area, and uh, I remember debating with the Nation of Islam people, and they were saying, no, if you look at white people, they all have a scar, um, you know, just at the bottom of their back, the bottom of their spine, you know, because their tail had to be cut off. <laughs> and they were literally debating with me. And, and that's the reason why I could never accept it, because I had enough contact with other races of people in my, you know, upbringing. And also I, I was reading, so like it didn't make sense. Malcolm went through the same change. It, it, it was started to become uh, bizarre and, and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And he started to see Elijah's weaknesses. Yeah. Elijah was not a good speaker. Um, he was a good organizer, but he had weaknesses. And so Malcolm started to see this. And it was when John F. Kennedy um, was assassinated. At that point, the whole country was in shock. And Malcolm was doing a press conference and they asked him, what do you think about it? And he said, in effect, that, you know, chickens have come home to roost. You know, meaning that, you know, violence, he would say that violence is, is as American as apple pie, which is true. Mm-hmm. And he said that because America was a violent society and the mafia and the other people disagreed with, with John F. Kennedy, he clashed with them, that eventually there would be violence. That's all he was saying. That was interpreted as Malcolm making fun of Kennedy. And, uh, and, and so Elijah distanced himself from Malcolm, suspended him uh, from the organization and would not allow him to speak. Mm-hmm. Now, this took a heavy toll on Malcolm. You know, going one month, two months, he couldn't speak. And then he realized that, you know, his time was over. And it's through his family relationships and through his relationship with um, Sudanese scholars and Egyptian scholars in New York and also uh, Sunnah people from the Afro-Americans, that he then um, came into Islam. And so that, you know, starts take, takes him, you know, to, to a new period uh, in his life. You know, and, and, and that really is, it, it's, a, it's a short period of time um, because, you know, the period from 1948 to 64, that really is his his prime, in a sense, his speaking ability and his contacts. And no doubt he was doing a lot of things outside of the Nation of Islam work he was actually doing. He was speaking up for black people. He became a spokesman for the oppressed. Uh, So it it climaxed, you know, then in 1964. And and, and, and that is when, um, you know, he made pilgrimage, um, you know, to Mecca. And um, he was able to meet real Muslims. He took his shahada, I believe it was in Egypt, and it was confirmed in Saudi Arabia. He met King Faisal, um, made his pilgrimage, and of course, in his famous autobiography, then he speaks about eating with people who had the whitest of skin and bluest of eyes and blondest of hair. But they didn't act white. It was just their skin color. So everybody is together, and he, he never thought that that was possible. Because remember, Elijah taught that white people are devils, right? Mm-hmm. Their nature is not to do good. So they're, they're, you, you cannot help them. This is something totally different. And he also was able to, to meet people, because through the Muslim World League, 
and through the different pilgrims who come to Mecca, he started to meet people from other countries, and he got invitations. And because the oil money was flowing in Arabia, and, and you know, he, he became close to the people there, he got financed to be able to travel uh, to different places. And so, you know, in, in this year, year and a half period, you know, he lived the life of three different people in the sense of his travels. And today people are able to travel, you know, on planes and move from country to country uh, with ease. But in those days, I mean, it, it was there. It wasn't like today, but Malcolm was tireless. And, and he was, you know, ready for anything. And so during that period of time, with his connections that he made, you know, during the pilgrimage and also his, his connections with black nationalists and international revolutionaries, he was able to travel to, <clears throat> to Ghana in Africa, Sudan, Nigeria. Just think about these countries. Iran, Syria, Egypt, UAE, Liberia in Africa, Senegal, Morocco, Algeria, Guinea in Africa, Tanzania. So he went over to Zanzibar too as part of Tanzania, Ethiopia. And he traveled even, he was in the UK and he even made it to, to Toronto, Canada. <clears throat> and he actually gave, you know, some talks in, in Canada as well. So he was internationally traveling. He was meeting heads of state. They recognized him. And because of his ability and his reputation, he was hosted by people like, you know, Julius Nyeri and Sekou Tore and like big leaders. And those African intellectuals, Afro-American intellectuals like in Ghana, and other places, they hosted him as well. So he was taking inf information, processing this, and then he was putting it back out. So he, in a short time, became a spokesman not only for uh, black people in the West, but also oppressed people all around the planet. And he eventually met Fidel Castro in New York, and he was meeting world leaders, and he was starting to express part of the uh, anti-colonial, the, you know, the, the revolutionary movement's ideology on international level. But he never forgot his people. Mm -hmm. He never forgot that his primary mission was the liberation of black people in the West. And so um, he formed the Organization of African American Unity. So his intention was to bring together um, the different organizations. And I was surprised to find out actually recently that he was scheduled to meet Martin Luther King in Memphis, Tennessee, shortly before Martin Luther was assassinated. That they were planning to make a unity between their two movements. Now, could you imagine if Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X joined together in the same movement for black people? The power that, you know, that would, would be in that movement? Mm -hmm. So this is what he was doing. So he was an internationalist in that, in a sense, but at the same time, he was very much concerned with black people in the West and bringing the right lifestyle. But he also said clearly that because of what he, he, he saw, he felt that, that, that the best chance to destroy racism in the West, best chance for white people, was to become Muslim. So his intention was to actually call white people to Islam. And also to change the misunderstanding within the nation of Islam and its derivatives, you know, that only black people could be Muslim. 
So these were all on his plate um, when he came back. Now, quiet as it's kept, because everybody wants to claim Malcolm. Mm -hmm. X even became at one point like a fashion statement. But what people downplay is the fact that he established Muslim Mosque Incorporated. So he established a Sunni Ahl-Sunnah Mosque in the New York area. And he was able to uh, get from the Egyptian government uh, a number of scholarships to Al-Azha University in Egypt. And one of the famous imams, uh, Imam Tawfiq Ahmed, of the Mosque of the Islamic Brotherhood, was one of his members who went to Egypt, got knowledge, brought it back to New York, and formed a very significant movement uh, in, uh, in in Harlem, uh, in, in, in New York, the Mosque of the Islamic Brotherhood, which is still uh, there up until today. So these are all extensions of what Malcolm was trying to do. So this this concept of you know turning him into this secular person and uh, turning him into all these different strange concepts, Malcolm was highly disciplined person, and I never forget you know watching um, one of the depictions, the documentaries about Martin Luther King, with all respects to him, um, when the FBI was watching him. They found out he was very loose, and his sex life was very loose. And so he had different women. And, and so then they were comparing with Malcolm X, because they were spying on both of them, right? And so they would bug the room, and they would just sit there and listen. And, and, and Martin Luther King is going through his changes with these different women. He said, they said, this Malcolm X, he's like a monk. This, this man is, is like, we cannot believe this man, yeah. because he's so highly disciplined. So you have to realize he was a family man. He believed in the nuclear family of husband and wife and the children. He was very serious about this. Mm-hmm. So there's no connection between him and any of these gender type of movements that are coming up today. He is the furthest thing from that. And if he was alive today, the people who are spouting out some of these extremes, they would probably consider him to be what they call toxic masculinity. Yeah, he'd probably be cancelled, right? <laughs> he would be cancelled. Multiple times. He would be cancelled because he was so outspoken. If he saw something that was wrong, he'll tell you straight to your face. And so they wouldn't be able to handle him, but because of social media today, they can cancel you because everybody wants Facebook and Instagram and everybody wants that. But in those days, it wasn't like that. So therefore, even though he was cancelled in a sense of mainstream television radio, but because his travels, because his ability to give lectures at universities to meet people, he wasn't cancelled within the society. So that is really um, the issue, I believe, one of the key issues for this new generation to come up. Don't try to reconstruct Malcolm in your own image. You know, don't use him to justify whatever you believe in. Maybe some of what you believe in is correct. Maybe some of it is not correct. But don't say that it was Malcolm. This is the problem that I have. I want people to look at him, the changes in his life, what he stood for, and to see he was a serious Muslim. He was praying, he was fasting, reading the Quran, he made pilgrimage, he was fulfilling all of the different uh, aspects of Islam. And so we can honestly say that when he was assassinated, that he became what we call shaheed, and that is a mara. And so this is important in, in dealing 
uh, with him, and, and, and Muslims need to be very straightforward and open uh, with this, and, and very clear, you know, with what uh, Malcolm stood for. If you want to use somebody else, fine, but but call a spade as a spade, and deal with Malcolm uh, the way he was, because today, if he walked the streets today and met some of these organizations, people would run from him because he was so straightforward. He wasn't negative. But he was so straightforward in his beliefs and so fierce uh, in his stance against evil that many of the people today who have this hypocritical way of being a revolutionary one day and something the next day, they couldn't stay in his presence today. So what do you think is um, those salient points or, or interesting aspects of his life and his philosophy that people, especially young people, can can kind of use and, and take forward today? Malcolm was very straightforward. He was very courageous. And, and for people who have been in the prisons and have lived that type of life, I mean, when he was doing wrong, he was the best at doing wrong. He was a gangster. So coming out that gangster life, um, you know, he was the pinnacle, you know, of this, you know, violent, um, slick, cunning gangster. And he was in prison for this. As they say in America, if you do the crime, you got to pay the time. And so he literally went in, was doing his time. And this is when he starts to transform. And this, I believe that this is a common phenomenon within the prison system because now you're stuck in this cage and there's nothing to do but to talk to people and to read. And, and so this is when a lot of people started reading like they never used to read before. And so his transformation that he went through and how he questioned, and um, so this is very real for people who, who are going through similar uh, transformations you know, within the penal system. And uh, his, his ability to continue to fight, to continue to struggle, to never forget about the people in the penal system as well. And this is important because many of the people in the nation of Islam were former inmates in the prisons. They did not forget. In other words, they say, like, leave no one behind. So he didn't leave anybody behind. He was taking care of the people coming out of the system and, and, and the downtrodden uh, and oppressed within American society. So young people, I believe, you know, are drawn to that. And his ability to speak, the sound bites that he does, some of the way that he speaks, the emotion. And, and how he speaks, I mean, this was, he was like a rapper in a sense of how he was speaking. He was so powerful uh, in how he was expressing himself that, that many of his quotes and, and, and many of his expressions are, are immortal in the sense of they just continue because he, he, was, he was before his time. And so a, a lot of his thinking, people can understand it now. And maybe many people could not understand it in those days. So he's the kind of person who evolves. At the same time, we can't make him into some huge icon that did everything with everybody. No, he was moving in his own stages. And even you know, about his Islam, he was a young Muslim in the sense that he was learning about Islam. He was very sincere. He was carrying it through. But deal with him as a human being where he was and the changes that he went through. This is important. So in conclusion... Um, 
we pray uh, for Al-Hajj Malik Shabazz, and this is what he changed his name to. We pray that Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would bless him uh, and forgive him and to enter him into the highest part of paradise Mm -hmm. and also to bless his family. They've gone through so many changes uh, and they're still struggling, you know, for their rights. And also to enable people to understand him for what he really was and to go through similar types of changes in our own lives. Sincerity, courage, uh, belief in the Creator, morality, family life, bravery, ready to stand up against evil wherever it is. This is the Malcolm that we know, and this is the one that we pray uh, would gain uh, immortal life in Jannatul Firdaus, the highest part of paradise. I leave you with these thoughts. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thanks for listening to the Deeper Roots podcast. This podcast was produced by me, Uthman Quick. The percussion-only audio track is by Jibril Moore. If you'd like to learn more about the work of the Sheikh, take one of his courses, or read one of his books, follow him on Instagram or Facebook, or visit his website at hakeemquick.com.